Hi, I'm Allie Press. And I'm Emily Luking. And this is the Hungry Artists Podcast. This is our podcast where we will attempt to navigate the weird and choppy waters of the artistic job market while talking to people that have gone before us and made it. We want to hear about their career journeys, gain a little wisdom, pass on what we learn to our listeners with each episode. We hope that all our listeners can get a little hope in their own artistic pursuits, maybe a little inspiration. We just want to have fun with our guests because we admire them and respect them for what they've done. And fun with each other. That's true. Because what you listeners may not know, if you do not know us, we have been friends since elementary school. We've at least known each other Mm -hmm. since elementary school, long time, Girl Scouts, all sorts of stuff. So I, as I said, I'm Allie Press. I'm an actress. I have struggled with actually saying that because I am not currently getting paid. You know, would you say that you are a sales representative if you weren't currently working with a company that you were representing? I don't know. So I recently graduated from Towson University with a BFA in acting. Loved it there. It was amazing. If you're not headed to university yet, you should think about it. A lot of people ask me as an actress whether I want to do theater or film, and I say, why not both? But when I see myself, like, happy and successful, like, 10 years down the road, it is mostly film and television. But I never truly want to give up theater because they're completely different, and there's Mm -hmm. things that you will never experience in film that you can only get in theater. Yeah, it's a beautiful form of art. I love theater. It's amazing. Yeah. It doesn't suck, for sure. So some recent stuff, I costume designed for the first time this Mm -hmm. summer because I also love costumes, something Emily and I have in common, Mm -hmm. and that was amazing. I was given that chance because some friends from Towson started a brand new theater group called the Green Globe Theater Company, not group, misspoke. They gave me a chance, and that was wonderful, and I had a great time. This fall, I also worked with the Baltimore Shakespeare Factory in their production of The Shoemaker's Holiday, which was awesome because I love Shakespeare. I know Shakespeare pretty well, but I had never heard of this play. Most people have never heard of this play. So it was something new Mm -hmm. from 600 years ago that we could share with people. And I will be getting to share more old theater with them this summer as Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm so excited for that. I am so excited. It's my favorite Shakespeare (laughs) It's an amazing play. And plus, Puck is like the best character in that show. Yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm already excited to do mm-hmm. that show again, even though just a year ago I was Hermia in Midsummer. But it doesn't matter. Puck's a cooler part. It's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, lady? So I'm Emily Luking, and I am an artist. More specifically, I'm a fiber artist. I have a hard time explaining what that is because people, I say my major was fibers. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. My major was beautiful and lovely and everything about it was exactly what I needed to be doing. But when I say that I was a fibers major, I get like weird looks and people are like, oh, like fiber optic cables? Like, (laughs) no. Uh, it has nothing to do with Verizon Fios or like, <laughs> or like fiber in your diet. It's really, it's not related to that at all. I actually have a Wikipedia definition here. So fiber art refers to fine art whose material consists of natural or synthetic fiber and other components such as fabric or yarn. It focuses on the materials and on the manual labor on the part of the artist as part of the work's significance and prioritizes aesthetic value over utility. So if I were explaining you to somebody else. Yes. Or explaining you. Um, so I would say kind of in the way that I would say like, oh, this is my friend, Helen Cook. She's a painter. Yes. I would say this is my friend, Emily. She's a fiber artist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, that definition to me is a little clinical because for me, the process of fiber art is so romantic and magical. It's, it's a little bit about turning nothing or a lot of tiny somethings into this big actual thing that either you can use or 
not use. Sometimes it just goes up and that's what it is. But to me, there is a little bit of magic in it. And I've been called a witch, like stirring my dye pot or like my roommate would would come over and I had turned like this crap of yarn into like this thing and she was like oh what are you doing so yeah I'm a fiber artist it's very much textile driven but I make stuff with yarn so now that you are graduated what do you find yourself doing to hopefully be a professional fiber artist oh gosh so this is why we're doing the podcast because I have all of this ambition and dreams and aspirations and I need to channel it and I feel like this is a good way to talk it out learn from people but I have all kinds of things I want to do so right now I'm trying to focus on costume design for theaters I really want to get into the nitty-gritty of like the detail work and stuff like beading or embroidery or like making like little details and big grand costumes. Um, like the Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah, like the Game of Thrones stuff. So much detail goes into those costumes that it's you will insane. never see yeah. the way that the show is shot unless you yeah. are getting like a really close-up shot and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, look at all that beating. They yeah. have like lions on their robes. And it's for like two seconds of film and they work hours, days, and months on it and it's just impressive and lovely. So that's what I want to do. Um, maybe not for film. I really am more focused on stage productions. Sure. But um, I'm I'm trying right now. Why to, not both? I mean, both is fine. And I've I've worked on like student films, and that was fun. I just there's something exciting to me about the process of putting on the show and then it being over. Okay, and, so you like the ephemeral aspect of yes, it? Yes, yes, I do. So. Yeah, costume design is what I'm interested in, but I also have my own fine art practice, which right now is headed in a sculptural direction. A lot of sewing and crocheting. Would you consider your lady, she crocheted an entire lady, would you consider that sculptural? Yes. Okay. So the lady, she's a full-size person. She's kind of modeled after me, although she's a, she ended up a little bit thinner, which I was like, no, oh, that's not me, but... It's fine. I um, cut You also it. don't have your intestines That's flying true. out yes. from your so, stomach. I really need to like photograph that and put it online. It's on my Instagram feed. And my dad looking. Shameless. But in the lady, I crocheted like a... I allowed for a slit in her stomach. And then I have all of these really long pieces of intestines that I sewed from different colored fabrics. And they're all kind of spilling out. And the idea is to have her propped up on some kind of chair or something. Maybe a hope chest. That's what she's on right now. She's on a hope chest at the foot of my bed. (laughs) She's wearing a Chance the Rapper hat. She's very cool. But I want the intestines to kind of be suspended from the ceiling in in this way that allows the viewer to kind of step into her space and be a part of what she is doing, which is exploding forward in agony and excitement. Excellent. I like that. I feel like that's kind of what we're doing because there is the excitement of finally getting to be out of school and Mm -hmm. pursue our passions professionally and Mm -hmm. share them with other people. Mm -hmm. But there's the agony of rejection and... yeah trying to make money and having to live back home yeah. or she she is very much inspired by what we're in right now which is like this you know you have all of this like stuff that you want to do and there's no way to channel it and you're it just feels like I'm gonna explode every day if no one freaking gives me a job <laughs> yeah so after I costume design for a little while my 10-year goal is after like five years of of like solid costuming so like as soon as my career picks up because right now it's kind of in this lull but as soon as that picks up do that for like five-ish years go back to grad school get some kind of fine art major maybe in sculpture probably not in fiber just because I've already done that once mm-hmm. it would be interesting to kind of step out of that become broader maybe learn how to use other materials and then um 
So I'm really being bold. I want to be in the MoMA. That would be amazing. I just, I just, that's where I want to be. Big dreams. That would be really cool. Yeah. I'm just thinking of all of the, the odd things where you walk in and you're like, is that really? The thing about the MoMA is like, there's something for everyone. And then there's just some stuff that, like, depending on who you are, you look at it and you're like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. The thing I always think of the last time I went was I walked into a room and then there was a big blank wall. Mm-hmm. And in black lettering up at the top of the wall, it said, this wall has been shot once with an air rifle. So it was literally just a wall that had been like with, with air. And I thought that was the dumbest thing somebody had ever been paid for in the history of art. I wonder if they were paid. I mean, to have your stuff in a museum, don't you have to be paid? That's showing my ignorance of the art world. I honestly have no idea how that works. And that's part of my journey is figuring out like how in the world to get paid for what I want to do, which is like very museum-y type work. Like the things that I want to make don't belong in people's homes. I can totally see it being like a thing in the MoMA. I can't because they because they do those kind of things that can like take up a whole room or they can be as small as a portrait on a wall. Mm -hmm. So I can totally see that being the environment that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And also looking for like the ability to work very large scale and the ability to make installations because installations are cool. They're really cool, but they're not super accessible. Like you don't. You need a space because you have to, you can't, you have to build it in the space because it's site specific. So it's not something that you can create at home and then just like show around. Yeah. And it's not like a painting that somebody at an affair would be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to put it on my wall. Right. So I think that's part of my struggle too, is wanting to make the art I want to make and wondering how in the world. I'm going to actually benefit from it other than my need to get it out of me and in physical form. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. So something that we want to do on this podcast, um, as Emily mentioned earlier, is talk to other people who are in the industry in one way or another and are somehow more successful than we are. So today's guest, to talk to, to talk about her a little bit, is my friend Leanna Breezy. She is one of the co-founders of the Green Globe Theater that I costume designed at this summer. Yeah. We will soon be celebrating our one-year anniversary. We're going to have a birthday party for the Globe. We have put on two productions, two plays, Hamlet and a show called Going Up, written by our friend Timothy mm-hmm. Huth. And we've had two comedy nights Yeah. where we invited some improv troops. We had some stand-up. Mm-hmm. We sold a lot of Natty Bow. All of our productions, we sell Natty Bow. Yes. Maybe that's why we have such a great turnout at our performances. I don't know. It might be a factor. You're in the heart of Baltimore. Like, if you're not drinking Natty Bow, then you're somebody who has taste buds. (laughs) (laughs) It's just water, Allie. Basically. (laughs) Yes. One day I'll bring my own cider. Yeah. And then I can drink during a performance. But anyway. Liana is amazing. I have seen her in some plays. She directed Hamlet, our first show. Yeah. And she is also currently, while running a theater company, while doing a full-time job, she is also pursuing her master's degree. I don't remember what it's in, so we will ask her. Yes. But so she is doing questions for She is doing a lot, and I thought she'd be somebody who would be great to talk to. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to hear how she's balancing it all. Because that's something I'm, I'm trying to figure out is how to have a day job, how to have a side art practice, how to just be an adult. Yes. That is something that I think, think that's what this time in our life is about. Mm-hmm. Learning Getting about those things. Learning how to carry ourselves in this world. Both, you know, in the greater world of earth mm-hmm. and in the world of art. Yes. A lot of that stuff I learned at this festival this weekend. So I went to the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival this past week. If you don't know what it is, it's basically just a theater conference. And there are workshops and lectures. And there's an acting competition called the Irene Ryans. That's how I ended up going. I was a friend's partner um, for the competition. 
didn't make it past the first round, but that's okay mm-hmm. because I got to go to some amazing workshops. I went to one lecture that was all about actors' equity, and I learned so much. It was so wonderful. I'd, I didn't realize I had so many questions, and now I feel like I have a much clearer handle on understanding that, mm-hmm. which is really important because yeah. one of the biggest questions for an actor in theater when they're starting their career off can be, should I go equity? What is equity? What does it mean once I become equity? What is equity? So Actors Equity Association is the union for actors and stage managers in plays, musicals, and reviews. Mm -hmm. So that's really important because every, all unions have their own jurisdiction. So let's say I become equity. Now I cannot perform in non-equity plays Mm -hmm. unless I get that director or producer to talk with equity. And sometimes you can be like a guest star or some other kind Mm -hmm. of thing. There's like agreements that you can have Mm -hmm. if it's a production you really want to be in. But at the end of it, if they can't offer you xyz Mm -hmm. then you just can't do the show yeah it's to make sure you get paid right yes it's um so basically it's to protect your interest so make sure that making sure that Mm. you're getting paid making sure that you get breaks Mm -hmm. making sure that your um, director doesn't say well you know what we just need to keep working this scene so we're just going to go to 11 when you were supposed to end at nine yeah Um, Or an example of uh, I was in an equity show last year with Center Stage, and because of snow, we lost like two performances. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to add another show one week. Mm -hmm. But that was going to take us from eight shows to nine shows. And the equity actors that were – we weren't all equity. I wasn't equity. I wasn't even getting paid. That's fine because the experience was amazing. So because it was in their contract that they would do – no more than eight shows a week, they all got a bonus check for doing that ninth show. Yeah. So it's things like that um, that can protect your interests. Also, you automatically start acquiring a retirement fund. Do you pay to be in equity? Yes. Okay. So, so you have union dues. dues. Um, you have to be a, a member in good, a member in good standing. And there are things like um, your retirement fund and health insurance mm-hmm. that you have to accumulate a certain number of weeks. So I think you have to be six months. Before you start acquiring health insurance, health insurance, and that can be, you know, two months in this show, three months in this show, you know, it doesn't have to be six months at a certain theater, just accumulating six months of equity work. Mm -hmm. But then you have health insurance, which is really nice. And then you can start acquiring. You have health um, insurance? I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. Um, (laughs) Thanks to Obamacare, I am still under my parents' (laughs) insurance. Thanks, Obama. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Obama. But if I were to become equity, then I could start acquiring health insurance, which is wonderful. But the cool thing, the jurisdictions things of like they're only concerned with plays, musicals, and reviews is that – so let's say I become equity. I can now only perform equity shows. But let's say I still want to break into film and television. Mm -hmm. But some of that stuff, that's extras work. That's performing for free on like a web series to build up your resume. Mm -hmm. I can still do that. Okay. But – on along the same lines, if I then become SAG-AFTRA, which is the film, television, I don't remember exactly what their jurisdiction is. If I become part of that union, then I have to stop working for free, similarly to equity. So there's different things like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, hopefully that was helpful for yeah. our acting listeners. Yes. If you are involved in theater at all and you get the chance to go to a KCACTF theater festival um i think that's redundant because it's theater festival theater festival anyway (laughs) um if you get a chance to go go it is amazing you i got to see a show every night like four or five different shows um that week and nothing is better than free theater and free workshops and free advice and free connections and getting to spend time with your friends yes so that was a great experience All right, so now we will bring in today's guest, Leanna Breedsey. Let's welcome Leanna to the podcast. Yay! Yay. Leanna, you are now on the Hungry Artists podcast. 
cool. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being our our first. Ah. <laughs> Hopping our cherries, so to say. Yes. So excited. Love cherries. <laughs> Emily, you Can actually have a list of stuff. Yeah, I've got all the questions here. Okay. But yeah, we're, let's uh, start at the beginning. So. Right. So. Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, hi. My name's Leanna Breedsey. I have a bachelor's degree in theater studies from Towson University. Woo-hoo. Yeah. I'm currently in graduate school for nonprofit management. Last year, I decided to create my own theater company, an eco-friendly based theater company in Baltimore called The Green Globe. Woo-woo. Yeah. We're actually coming up on our one-year anniversary on March 1st, so we're super excited. I started my journey in theater when I was in the fifth grade. I didn't have a lot of friends, and upon suggestion from one of my teachers, she told me to get into theater, and I've been doing it ever since. Sounds like a classic theater kid story. Yeah, sounds pretty similar to mine. I need friends, and, you know, who doesn't want to be friends with the weird theater kids? So. <laughs> Everybody wants to be friends with the weird theater kids. Right? So the you said eco-friendly. How does – I want to hear more about that. Okay, great. So um, I actually devised this whole idea of the Green Globe Theater during my my time at Towson. It first started when I had to do a project for – a class I was in. Uh, it was taught by the now managing director of Everyman Theater, Jonathan Waller. He's really great. I remember just discussing this idea with him that I've had because theater is so wasteful. While I was taking his class, I was also taking a geography class. It was an upper level class and I had to focus on uh, development. Sorry, that was my dog. <laughs> and I remember looking at these city plans for uh, multiple cities all over the United States, Portland, San Francisco, uh, Baltimore, and just seeing how we were advancing um, and moving towards this kind of greener idea of life. So as I got more involved with geography, I got more involved with theater, and I came up with this idea to just start an eco-friendly theater. Theater is so wasteful, and I've been able to see a lot of what we throw away firsthand by helping with strikes locally and being on production teams. It seems like the only aspect of theater that isn't wasteful is the costume department, just Mm -hmm. because they've reused (laughs) so much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I just thought, why not do it all that way? So, um... I ended up writing my undergraduate thesis on this concept of eco-friendly theater, which is how the Green Globe was born. Basically, the Green Globe in particular, uh, what we do is we go to sets across Baltimore and we help out with strikes. And we do the strike and we take all the materials that they want to throw away. That's actually how we acquired a lot of the masonite we have. We went to a strike in Carroll County, and they were throwing away so much wood, and we just ended up inheriting it, and now we're we're actually using it in the production that we're doing now. They killed Karen. So we utilize a lot of materials from strikes. We also utilize a lot of materials from local nonprofits. There's Habitat for Humanity Restores. And that's a nonprofit, and we usually go to them for um, materials. For instance, for They Killed Karen, we actually purchased our doors through them for $10 each. Usually these doors are like $150. So it's a great way to be cost-effective and eco-friendly. We also use the Loading Dock, which is a great nonprofit in Baltimore. We ended up acquiring paint for an entire set for $10 for five gallons. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And just various pieces that they were going to, um, other people were going to throw away. So it's a great way to be cost effective and eco-friendly at once. We actually make sure that all of our budgets are purposely low. For instance, $300 is what we usually work with to kind of 
make us go out there and, and find what we need as opposed to just buying what we need. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's, really That's awesome. my spiel. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with art cube? I am not. Tell me about it. It's like a Google forum. Almost. You have mm-hmm. to, pay to be in it it's like five dollars a month but basically in your in the cities that you joined people post like hey i need 80 doors does anybody have like a bunch of doors i'm doing blah 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 production or they say like i have eight tons of plaster that i need to get rid of like how does anybody want this stuff so it's basically like what you're doing but it's um it's like a website for it where they pass around materials and there's also a little bit of hiring i joined it to try to get costume work i didn't find that to be super fruitful for me because it really was about passing around materials gotcha but yeah art cube i will write that down because we're a part of like a few facebook groups and free cycle Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but those sites are usually hit or miss so it's good to have another outlet. For yeah, and, and Art Cube can be hit or miss too. They're trying to gain more ground in more cities. New York is huge. Like there's constantly stuff being posted on that. Baltimore and DC, quite less. But I think it's worth a shot to try out. See if you can, I don't know, contribute or find stuff from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's definitely stuff that we use in the Green Globe productions that we may or may not be able to use again. So then we can just kind of pass it on. Yeah. That'd be great. So tell us like the most exciting thing that you've worked on. I mean, Hamlet, which was our our first production at Green Glow. Mm -hmm. It was a huge learning process because it was the first production ever. But it was also really, really fun. It was all about gathering people who were super excited. Ali helped out with the production as costumer. Mm-hmm. She was fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was about finding people who love art. And we ended up grossing, like, a few thousand dollars nice. from it. And we donated yeah. proceeds to Breath of God Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. which is what we play out of. Yeah. So it was just great. It was all about giving back and just starting this new journey. And what's not exciting about that? It's certainly one of my favorite experiences and getting to watch watch you guys do it because I felt like I was just a very small cog in the ultimate scheme of it because I kept coming in and there was new stuff of like, oh, hey, they acquired a set or, oh, hey, they had to figure out how to run a box office And there was just a million and one things that went into making that production happen. But then didn't we open to a sold out crowd? Yeah, we totally did. Pretty (laughs) awesome for first ever production of a company. Yeah, Yeah, and we had to like add seats too, which is crazy because we had like 70 seats out there. And to add more, it was exhilarating. It was so exciting. Yeah, I'm constantly impressed with like when I show up for comedy night or something and I'm like oh my god there's people here not that they shouldn't be or but it's <laughs> like they came <laughs> it's so weird I I usually have like these moments where I just kind of look around and see like how many people I actually know and when there's not hardly anyone that I know it just kind of hits me that this is a thing like it's it's kind of sprouted into its own thing and that's so exciting like, we have 600 likes on Facebook within, like, less than a year. It's really that's cool. Awesome. And I think something that's been really cool being a company member is how we've tried to connect with the community as well, mm-hmm. with the Highland Town community. Mm-hmm. So we went to a Halloween event. We went to a Christmas event. And I think that really helps with bringing people into the theater, but then also just us giving back to the community mm-hmm. and it just being a perpetuating cycle. Yeah, we uh, did small business Saturday in Highland Town, right across the street from De Pasquale's at my friend Mariana's house. And it was just like, these people didn't know about us, but when they finally stopped to talk about us, they were just so willing to embrace us. We had people buy tickets, donate money just because, and it just makes me feel like we're doing something right. 
because we're bringing theater to a community that doesn't really have it and we're keeping prices low so they can participate in it which is so important yeah absolutely um so stepping back a little bit you said that you were you were like a theater kid in fifth grade Mm -hmm. i want to hear about like the journey like you probably started acting in like some little play but now you're directing and producing so like where in your life were you like this is where I want to be within the theater like what led you to directing and producing versus any other thing that you could have been doing in theater so I started out acting I did a lot of stuff in elementary school stupid little mm-hmm. plays yeah um, and then that kind of grew into high school theater which was I mean a little more intense but not as adult as it could be but I went to an all-girls Catholic school so we had to do what we had to do um (laughs) so I think my my biggest jump into the theatrical world had to come when I started at the community college of Baltimore County the first play I did was the shape of things I played Jenny and it was my first on stage kiss (laughs) and I just remember I don't know. That's when it sunk in that it was super real and this was something that I was going to do. And I just kept doing theater there. I ended up becoming the president of our theater organization, Mask, at CCBC. And it was then that I, not to, you know, toot my own horn, I kind of single-handedly turned around the Mask budget by producing Equus on a whim. Yeah, I directed that, and I had to fight for it because there's nudity, Mm -hmm. and there's cursing, and it's edgy. We were doing the whole production in a black box space. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I just remember um, kind of deciding in that moment that I was done thinking about things as just an actor, and I started to want to think about things as a whole. So my whole perspective kind of shifted. I had to start looking at things very carefully, but still like as a whole, like I'm looking at things from set design to costumes, to lighting, to sound, and to all of the actors individually to see how they mesh together. And I just found that I loved it. I loved being able to incorporate every little piece of production into this kind of art that I was creating and it was just exhilarating so I just kept doing it I moved on to Towson I directed The Bald Soprano which I really really adored because I love absurdism Mm -hmm. so it was really great to be able to jump into that with people that were eager to work with me which was really great I did like small things around Baltimore and just realized that I just loved it I loved being you know, in charge, which was super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I also just loved being able to take a step back and just have my work be presented as it is. I think that's a really great way to think of things, considering all aspects, even if you're only directly involved with one of them, because they Mm -hmm. all affect each other. And that's something that I found The more I work in one aspect, the more I know about another one, like it all informs each other. And I think that we, I think that people would work better together if they were better about thinking of things more like you were talking about, like thinking of things as the whole and thinking about like, as an actor, how can I help the costume department as the lighting designer? How am I helping the actors do their best work or highlighting their work? Ha, highlighting, pun. (laughs) Um, Yeah, things like that. I think we need to think about each other more. It's so important. And I don't think that we think of that until we step into another role. Like I didn't think about, you know, what the set designer's feelings were when I was just an actor that just didn't even like cross my mind. Not saying that actors aren't considerate, but you know, it's just you're so focused on one thing. But once you kind of cross over into this world, that's kind of new. Um, you start to take more things into account, which is great because once you open up this communication with a customer and say, as an actor, you know, I feel like I would wear this. What do you think? How can we do that? It puts a whole new layer onto the production and makes it instantly more interesting. Yeah, totally agree. And it's not about, it's not that, you know, actors or any artists get 
well, sometimes they're selfish or inconsiderate, but I think sometimes it's just kind of an ignorance. Mm -hmm. You know, you, your eyes haven't been opened and I've, I've come into contact with people like that. You know, maybe they have been costume designing too long and they don't realize that if I put this actor in this, that means that they can't sit down or things like that. And you have to be able to like communicate that with other artists and be like, okay, well I need to be able to have a lot of movement for this piece. So can my costume reflect that? Mm-hmm. So it's great to have someone that's also willing to kind of take your opinion into account because I've run into like a few artists that aren't willing to budge. Like if they want you in this costume, they yeah. need to have you in it. And there's no sort of, they don't take into account your feelings or, you know, how you'll move in it and how comfortable you feel. So it's great to have just kind of like an open communication with all aspects of production. Sure. Yeah. Because there are definitely those actors that are like, oh, well, I can't do this and blah, blah, blah. And then you realize that, well, if you just took a couple of rehearsals to practice Mm -hmm. in it, practice in these shoes or practice in this Mm -hmm. skirt, then you would be able to do it. Or maybe it just takes a a slight adjustment to fulfill Mm -hmm. everybody's vision. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder I wonder if some of that is like ego stuff too. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know super well about the world of theater arts because I'm just getting into it, but I feel like there's a little bit of self-importance that's involved with that kind of stuff. Totally. And in all aspects of it, not just actors, but like the people oh, producing yeah. too. People take a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. They have so much pride in their work. Which is a good thing, yeah. but sometimes it overflows and kind of crashes into other people, which is no fun. Yeah. So you're in grad school now. Mm-hmm. Did you go to grad school straight from bachelor's or? So I was crazy. My last semester at Towson, I thought it would be a good idea to enroll at grad school at the same time. Oh, at <laughs> the same time? Uh, Yeah, so I was in grad school, my final semester at Towson. I was taking max credits there Mm -hmm. and max credits at Towson. I was just doing it. (laughs) I thought it was a great idea. How? I mean, like, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Did you sleep? Um, I mean, yeah. I was taking online classes in graduate school Mm -hmm. and I was going to like in-person classes at Towson. I just took a lot of scheduling, and it was literally the toughest, like, few months of my life. Mm. But I got through it. I have a really cool boyfriend <laughs> who made me dinner and kind of maintained the house while I kind of did everything school. So it kind of made things easier there. But I have about a year left, and then I will be getting um, my M.A., which will be really exciting. Yeah. Do you have plans for what's next? Yeah. So um, we want to make Green Globe Theater an official nonprofit. It takes money and it takes board members. So um, we're actually having a board member dinner and we're going to kind of cultivate prospective uh, board members, see if they're interested in kind of jumping into this with us, and then we will begin our future as a nonprofit, which will open so many new doors for us. Hopefully, I'll be able to start paying my my friends who are working for me, and we can kind of turn this into our full-time job. Because I feel like the only way that I'm going to be able to do what I love is if I start it. Yeah. So, and I can give my friends jobs, which is so exciting for me because we're all working these crappy nine to five jobs and our heart's just not there. So just to be able to provide for them and just offer them this opportunity to do this, what they love, you know, all the time. It's just, oh my gosh, that's the dream right there. That's what I want. Absolutely. I think that's a big thing that people are discovering and those who haven't discovered it need to. There is definitely an aspect of if you want to do it, you have to do it yourself Mm -hmm. to this industry. And that's, I think that's part of what got us to start this podcast. I wanted a regular creative outlet to talk to new people and to do new things. And that allowed that. Can you talk more about what it means to be a nonprofit? So what 
will that change for the Green Globe? How do you become a nonprofit? Okay, so um, becoming a nonprofit, a 501c3 charity, it's kind of a rigorous process because you have to get things approved. For instance, currently the Green Globe Theater is an LLC. So to become a nonprofit, we would have to dissolve the LLC and file for nonprofit status. To do that, you need to apply with a board, a board of trustees who oversee the main decision processes in regards to the the company. They're basically just like this non-biased group of people that are looking out for the best interests of the theater. So if we were to become a nonprofit theater, we would also be eligible to apply for grants, which are so important. Um, Grants kind of keep theaters and, you know, other nonprofits afloat. While a lot of nonprofits can't just survive off of the the funds from grants, they survive off of uh, donations and, for instance, ticket sales. So basically, um, to be able to give people tax write-offs once they um, donate makes things, I guess, more real and it makes things more kind of concrete. It makes people want to donate when they feel like they're getting stuff back. Yeah, always, yeah. So hopefully it will encourage people to more actively participate in giving to the Green Globe and um, will give us more opportunities to seek out grants from um, corporations, individuals, and the federal government. Okay, so you're talking about paying your artists, and I assume you would need money too. So how, how do you get your money? So do you, does that come from the grants? Does, do part of the grants and donations go to paying your salary and, or, and the artist's salary? Like where does that money come from? So you would create an annual budget and a lot of, there's a lot of stigma against nonprofits. People think that being a part of a nonprofit means that you don't get paid, but that's not true. A portion of the budget created by the board is allocated to paying their employees. So once we get all of this money and we kind of pull it together, that's when we're able to say, hey, uh, you know, the artistic director is going to get like $10,000 a year or something like that. And then this production is going to get this much and our administration costs are going to get this much. And you're just able to kind of pull numbers and allocate them appropriately. Okay. That makes sense. So how, how do you go about getting a grant? How do you go about go? Oh my gosh. It is so long and tedious. (laughs) Um, I actually, I've worked for a few nonprofits and just being in graduate school, I've had to write grants and it's basically, um, here, let me, I'm going to pull one up and tell you what is kind of on it so you can get the feel. All right, great. So, um, they ask you questions, for instance, to define the mission and history of your organization the project need of the organization, why you need the funds, the purpose of the request, and you have to be so intricate. You can't just write, to do theater. You have to list the specifics because if you're too broad, that money can go somewhere else. They're not interested in giving funds to the same organization. You have to make yourself distinctive. The expected results, uh, the budget. So when you submit this whole request, it has your board of directors attached to it, the budget, the expected budget for whatever you're going to use the funds for. So it, it's, it's super intricate and very detailed, and they take months to do because there's so much proofreading involved, and it's just you have to get information from the right people. Like if I'm working with my finance department, I need to make sure I have the correct budget for fiscal year 2015. So it's just there's, there's a lot of parts to it. And if it's not done right, then you won't get the money. I believe it. We have a family friend, Dr. Pamela Gay, who is an astrophysicist. 
and oh, wow. she writes grants for the school that she works at and mm-hmm. she she's talked about it a lot and it sounds like it's just an incredible amount of work and like a lot of things you get turned down a lot and then you're like mm-hmm. oh okay I can no longer run the things I need to do because you told me no yeah and you have to figure out if you can live without these um these grants so you have to make a plan before you even get the money which can be difficult but then when you get the money it's like a pleasant surprise and you're able to put that to something you may need true yeah so i just joined heritage players it's um based in catonsville i don't know if you've heard Mm -hmm. of them and they're a nonprofit through their company right now but they're looking to eventually in like their 10-year goal is to become a profiting business is that something that you could see yourself like so you're you're transitioning to nonprofit now do you ever see yourself kind of transitioning back if it gets big enough No <laughs> um <laughs> I I want this to be a thing that is always going to help the people immediately close to it meaning the community the artists locally Not that I don't think about it i mean it would be great to eventually get so much profit from it that we become you know the broadway of baltimore yeah but there's a lot of organizations that are still non-profits that still make money from it for instance Mm -hmm. the nfl is one of the biggest non-profits in the world the nfl is non-profit the nfl is a non-profit organization that seems crazy to me it's not fair (laughs) no but i mean there's still we're still going to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. So I just, instead of keeping it, I want to spread the wealth among the organization and keep it alive, if that yeah. makes sense. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's really generous of you. You know, I try. Brianna, <laughs> the saint. Ah, hey, don't get crazy. <laughs> so we are, I mean, I call us fresh out of college, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, fresh. Hasn't and, even been a full year yet. Yeah feeling a little lost I don't know when it was the last time you felt like you were in our position but um what was the best piece of advice you've ever received about your whole artistic journey your nonprofit journey whatever so I did not have a a lot of support going to college I was actually the first of my family to graduate it's kind of this I guess it was advice that I kind of gave myself just to keep going. Nothing nothing is permanent. Think of things as temporary. That's what I say to myself every time I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get ready for work mm-hmm. and to, like, go and have my 10-hour day. Yeah. It's temporary. This is temporary, and as long as I keep that on my mind, it keeps me going because I know I'm working towards a permanent future which is so important. And I feel like as artists, we often feel like we have to settle into this nine to five routine, but we don't have to do that. You can choose to do it temporarily to work towards your permanent future. We make the decision. And I think that's so important to remember that you're still the person in control of your life. Mm -hmm. That's good. That feels good. Yeah. And I think doing things for ourselves making the art happen is what makes us feel in control yeah Yeah. never stop you know it it keeps me alive I mean it it has kept me alive I don't even know where I would be if I wouldn't have found theater I really don't know it's been such an important aspect of my life that I just don't know where I would be without it I think a lot of people have a similar experience to that I feel like I hear Mm -hmm. that a lot I think that's one of the magical things about theater that it brings that brings people together and it brings people I don't know perspective and hope and yeah it's our our family that we chose I'm not very close to my family so this theater has become my outlook my outlet for love and and family so I think that's why I'm so close to it why it's so important and I, I think that's part of the reason, part of what draws me to theater a little bit more than film. Not And film does that too. Like sometimes I find myself watching like the extra things and like the making of 
mm-hmm. pieces in like the special features on yeah. the DVD. And, like, oh, I love that show. I live for that so stuff. Close. I know. Yeah. It's so interesting. The Lord of the Rings, like uncut. Yeah. Oh, I love those interviews. <laughs> yeah. They so are cool. so close. Or like yeah. all of the Harry Potter ones. Yeah. It's, I mean, you create this kind of, this connection that you'll always have. Mm-hmm. I still have programs from my fifth grade, like, productions. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know, it'll always be a part of me. And I don't know, just my humble beginnings. And we've built on top of those to kind of be where we are today, which is so important to just remember where you came from. I think so. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think that's what connects you back to your purpose. It's like having your thesis statement for your life. Yeah. So every time you want to make a decision, (laughs) you just come back to, well, does this serve that purpose? Does this serve who I want to be or what kind of artist I want to be? Yeah. I don't want to have a life that wasn't lived. I I want to be able to give back to the people that have given me so much. And I think that's why I'm so motivated to make sure that my friends do get paid. It's Mm -hmm. just giving back to them for all of the free time that they've contributed to this organization. So on a different note, um, I heard you have a sex blog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about that. About I mean, you don't have to go into the nitty-gritty details if you don't want to. But if you do want to. That's, we're <laughs> open to that, too. Um, but just, like, the blogging experience and is, like, if that's another form of art for you, like, how's that going? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Dirty Cersei became a thing. I love Game of Thrones, and mm-hmm. I love that Cersei is a badass bitch. <laughs> Not wrong about that. So I kind of decided to use her as my alias because I admired her so much. Basically, I started the sex blog after I started selling sex toys. Oh. Yeah. Sexuality has always been um, really important to me. Um, mm-hmm. It was very suppressed when I was attending Catholic school. But I can imagine. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story, and not a lot of people know this, but I actually lost my virginity as the president of Chastity Club. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) How glee of you. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of eye-opening for me, and I learned kind of in that moment that it's not a bad thing to embrace your sexuality. It's not a bad thing to talk about sex. I want to be able to reclaim that as a woman instead of just being an object there. So that's kind of how this blog started. My experiences, because it's so taboo to talk about sex, and this was just my way of reclaiming it. And actually, I have like 10,000 followers on my blog. Oh my gosh, seriously? Damn, girl, I didn't know that. How long has your blog been up? What? How long have you been doing this? Um, Probably about two years. Oh my gosh. And the best part about my followers is that they contributed so much money to the original GoFundMe for Green Globe. Because they're like, we want you to be able to do everything. So Mm -hmm. I'm not even lying when I say this. I'm pretty sure that they probably donated well over $1,000. Yeah. Wow. I've I've always felt like talking about sex, like, makes people closer. Oh, totally. It is such an easy way to bond with people when you talk about it. It started, for me, it started, like, when you share, like, who your crush is with Mm -hmm. somebody. (laughs) And then I feel like as you get older, it becomes, like, okay, well, there's this one time. And And then, then, like, like, blowjob tips with your girlfriends. Absolutely. (laughs) Spit or swallow. Like, what do I do when that happens? Yeah, it makes all the difference. It's great, and it's, like, we have so many questions, and if we weren't afraid to, like, ask them, think of how quickly they could have gotten answered. Yeah. Like, I think about all these questions I had when I had, like, our fake-ass sex ed in Catholic school that I was afraid to ask. But if I would have asked, like, you know, oh, sorry, that was my dog. Um, 
if I would have asked, like, hey, do I get pregnant if I, like, swallow my boyfriend's cum? Then I, <laughs> do you know how much relief I would have had if that would have been answered instead of me panicking and, like, having to browse the internet and just ask my girlfriends? Like, I would it have been swallowing so relief. much sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I would have known, right? It would have, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of been a way for me to reclaim my sexuality mm-hmm. and writing about it and having it I mean it's pretty graphic I mean I talk about my life I actually had this series where I referred to some of my past lovers as Game of Thrones characters that's awesome (laughs) yeah so I kind of made similarities between um the people that I had sex with and the characters and went Mm -hmm. into detail about you know our rendezvous and it's fun. I mean, may I ask which character Glenn was compared to? Uh, did I compare Glenn? <laughs> oh my god! Hold on, that's a good question. Well, I guess he's not past. He's yeah. not a past relationship. Is he's your, your current, current relationship. relationship. Yeah, I've been with Glenn for almost six years. Oh, he's probably in the blog then. Yeah, he's specific sexual instances are in the blog. Yeah, but. How does he feel about that? Is he cool with it? He's probably cool with it. Yeah, he's super cool about it. I think sometimes he gets upset about some of the, <laughs> some of my followers because I have a lot of followers that, you know, they they forget to separate me from the writer. Right. Gotcha. So, you know, they become infatuated and stuff like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> so he gets awesome. a little nervous. That and is. I'm like, look. Awesome. It's six years. We're fine. We'll keep on going. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's cool because I ended up, one of the biggest things that came out of the blog was me creating a fet life. I don't know if you guys know about that. No. Mm -hmm. So it's basically the BDSM fetish version of Facebook. Mm. Oh. So you basically connect with other individuals that are into you know not the typical vanilla sex Mm -hmm. stuff so it's really cool because I've actually like I found like some of my real life friends on there that's awesome I know so we've been able to like talk about like some weird shit yeah. Like in person, which is so cool because you don't know that, you know, Sarah Matthews is into anal and has a variety of We do of, now. We yeah, do now. Sarah Matthews. <laughs> but it, it's it's kind of cool to kind of have that little secret connection with people. Yeah. Well, and it also gives people like a place where they can express things that like everyone else thinks is weird. And, yeah. You know, and That's they just, so they great. don't have to feel it's ashamed that they space. want to be peed on or whatever right yeah whatever man. how topical <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now how... i'm like curious i'm going through to see if i ever came up with a glenn a glenn person oh it's funny i ended up going to jumping back to like art i went to this erotic art show mm-hmm. and i ended up getting like paddled in public oh cool yeah and (laughs) it was just like and i wrote like a giant penis there they had constructed out of wood and there was this penis water fountain that they constructed out of a bidet and oh that's good yeah there's a lot of like beautiful like black and white kind of like rope work i don't know if you guys are familiar with that um not really no. rope play is in the fetish community it's it's very pretty mm-hmm. it's just like different ways to tie the rope around your body while yeah. you're naked and kind of the layman's terms yeah, I, can, I can see that being beautiful it was super pretty a lot of black and white prints just really inspiring to be surrounded by people who embrace their sexuality. It was yeah. cool. Cool moment. Yeah. Uh, where was this show? It was in Hamden. Okay. Oh, okay. Is it still up? Um, no. I went to it a year still ago with up. a bunch of my girlfriends. <laughs> and we kind of walked in. We didn't know what we were going to walk into. But yeah, you could get spanked in public. You could ride a giant penis. Mm-hmm. 
there was uh oh there was a stripper pole and i'm pretty sure pictures were taken of me on it <laughs> and people actually threw money at me which is like super cool that's the best awesome. part yeah i have but a that friend who runs a a pole dancing dance studio and oh, really? i oh, so badly want to oh that would be a you should idea. i so oh, badly want to go take one of her classes of course her studio's in Towson. And I'm Wait, like, oh, who is she? Now, Tegan Williams. Oh, my gosh. Do you know Tegan? I know her boyfriend. Oh, okay. okay. He actually um, was really active on my blog. I had some ghost writers, but he was open about what he wrote. So he was a part of it, which was pretty cool. cool. Oh, wow. See, small it's world, a small right? world. Okay, so we're going to go to pole dancing. Liana, you're welcome to come. Great. And then we're going to get Tegan on our podcast. That, that would, be, would be awesome because I know any publicity helps. So to get people yeah, totally. out there could be really fun and we could record it and people would laugh with us, not at us because that's mean. Absolutely. <laughs> so it could be fun. Speaking of podcasts, your blog reminds me of this podcast that Emily turned me on to. Yeah. Turned called... you on to. Ooh, girl. Yes. Mm, yes. It's called Guys We Fucked. Yeah. It's by, it's hosted by two female comedians, mm-hmm. and it's basically what you were talking about. They bring on guys that they previously had relations with, and what? they talk about it. It's amazing. You oh would love gosh. it. Start at the beginning. That's what yeah. I did. I'm working okay. my way through. And they're hysterical. And they're they, so funny. And they bring up a lot of really good things, like like you were saying, that I may not have thought about later, or like... I feel this way, but I didn't realize that, oh, a lot of people feel this way. Okay, I feel better about this now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I did not know about that. That is so funny. Yeah, it's called the Guys We Fucked podcast. It's on iTunes. Guys We Fucked, the anti-slut-shaming podcast. Oh, yes. That's important that's part important. of the title. Yes, that's so important. I actually, I started recording some audio versions of the stories that I wrote Mm. and wanted to jump into the world of podcasting. Should do it. I I want to, but it's just time. I need to find time Mm -hmm. to do it. I recorded like two, two of the stories and I've gotten really good reviews like on subreddits. People are like super into it and... I bet. I mean, you have, if you have so many followers on your blog, yeah. I would assume that they'd enjoy it in audio form. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, why not take advantage? I mean, like, I am an actor, so, you know, why not both? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Goes. I feel like you'd probably get even more people infatuated with you just because also true. <laughs> hearing it from you is going to be, like, an extra sensory Oh my god, I sound like a Disney princess. It would be ridiculous. Like, I remember playing (laughs) it back, I'm like, oh my god, how can people even listen to this without feeling uncomfortable? And, like, (laughs) I sent it to, like, a few of my followers, and they're like, this is the best thing that you've ever done. And I'm just like, are you, okay, that's fine, okay, I'll do it again, I guess. That was just funny. That's great. Now I'm picturing... Disney princesses. I'll send you. You know what? I'll just send you them. <laughs> and you can, okay, yes. We want to hear them. And yes, you absolutely. can listen to them and tell me what you think okay. of yeah. Elsa doing and a then, uh, sexy And then rendition. maybe once we get this published, we can tell you just how easy it is. I'm yeah, hoping it's true. really you easy. Tell me how it I'm is. hoping so too. But also, if you ever just need a platform for like a little essay or something, oh, we, we in addition to being artists, we are both very strong feminists yes and like and like we've been talking about very big proponents of open sexuality and talking mm-hmm. about things so yeah if I, you wanted to record it we could put it on here or you could yeah. send it in text and we could read it on the show something like that oh, that's totally yes. something we'd be yeah. cool with we could work it out totally okay. sounds good okay well we're getting towards the yeah, end i think it's time um, to wrap yeah do you have any Final thoughts you'd like to leave people with, people who are struggling to follow their dreams, struggling to find ways, struggling if they should, stuff like that? Well, you should totally do it. Whatever you're thinking about doing, you should do it. I think it's so important to surround yourself with people that you love. Like, I cannot even begin to tell you how grateful I am for the people that are in my life that have been involved with the Green Globe. I am eternally grateful for my friends. Glenn, Pat, Allie, Mariana, Maya, Lucas, Sam O'Farrell, Laurel Rose, Kayvon. There's so many people. Mm -hmm. Tavish. That 
I could not live without. Like at this point, I don't I don't know. I can't imagine not surrounding myself with people that I love. So, I think it's important. Surround yourself with people that you love, you know, have lots of sex and make your dreams happen. Excellent. I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Yeah. Love you so much. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Bye. That was lovely. Mm-hmm.